0: today's scripture reading comes from isaiah 45 5 through 7 i am the lord and there is no other apart from me there is no god i will strengthen you that you have not acknowledged me so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting people may know there is none besides me i am the lord and there is no other i form the light and create darkness i bring prosperity and create disaster i the lord do all these things this is the word of the lord for us Well, hey, everybody. I now understand why Nick said something about, are you awake? It's all making sense now. We were singing Be Still, and everyone's like, got it. I am thrilled to be here this morning. What a joy it is to gather together. Our family is kind of just fresh back from a retreat, some time away, Uh, I unplugged for uh, the better part of two weeks. One of the things I do when I I get back into reality is I catch up on the headlines. So I go online and read the headlines there, and I I grab our trusty bargain hunter and catch up on all the local sports events. But what if you open the newspaper and you saw the headline, Fredericksburg flattened, or Berlin bulldozed, or Worcester waylaid? We might be used to hearing those kind of words in response to Browns games. <laughs> but, but what if we were talking about actual events in our cities and in our villages where they were being overthrown, where they were being obliterated? Apple Creek annihilated. Canton crushed. Wilmot wiped out. It's hard to even imagine waking up to headlines such as that. And yet... That's exactly what God said to the people who surrounded Israel. He said that they were going to be obliterated and wiped out. And so this morning, as we get into the word of God, I want to issue the same warning to us as well. I want us to heed the warning of the word of God. That we need to wake up to the word of God. We must be very careful and cautious not to become like the world around us. That we wouldn't think like them, that we wouldn't adopt their ways of acting and speaking, that we wouldn't adopt their idolatry. And oh, it might not be wooden idols, but modern idolatry is alive and well. Let me name a few. Money don't have to look very far to see people who are worshipping money, who, who think highly of money, whose lives revolve around that. Career. Climbing that ladder to the next position and the next promotion and getting the status that you want. Keeping up appearances. I've been in our community just two years. In some ways, I'm naive. In other ways, God gives me a fresh set of eyes to see... You all and your neighbors and the people here, keeping up appearances. Those lawns that we've just got to have a little better than the guy next door. Politics. Our own health. And physical fitness. You see, anything that you look to for fulfillment outside of God is an idol. Like Jeremy said just last week, last Sunday, idolatry is letting anyone or anything other than Jesus sit on the throne of your heart. Do you recall that? He was sitting right here in a throne. It was a great visual illustration. Who will we allow to sit on the throne of our hearts? And I would say if we learn anything from the Old Testament prophets, it's that God is willing to strip us bare, to take everything away, to to bring destruction, that we would find him. That, That we would be like Job who says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So there is an encouragement as well as a warning today. An encouragement that that we don't lose hope, that we don't lose heart, that we don't lose faith, even when life falls apart. And that's just what we're going to talk about today. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. I am blessed to serve as pastor here at MCA. Thrilled to have you with us, those that are here in-house, those that are tuning in online. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. So we are now in week two of a brand new sermon series called Hope Remains. This is a three-part series in the book of Zephaniah. Everybody say, Zephaniah. I know, I know, it's not one of the most widely read books in the Bible. In fact, Zephaniah is probably best known for being the least known book in the Bible. Not like the cookie-baking prophet, famous Amos. So, if we look at the Old Testament, we see we have 16 books of prophecy. That is, four major prophets and 12 minor prophets. And so, we have this little three-chapter book, one of the minor prophets, Zephaniah, that you all just said together, that might take you a moment to find in your Bibles. And what we see in this particular prophecy is judgment. So we heard this great sermon just last Sunday. Jeremy did a fantastic job with chapter one, and then those first three verses in chapter two. He kicked off the series. Now, to help us set the historical context a little bit, I'll I'll remind us that the northern kingdom of Israel had already been conquered by their enemies. They'd been, they'd been devastated. They'd been wiped out. They'd been waylaid. They'd been defeated. And the Lord is also going to allow this southern kingdom of Judah to be conquered by their enemies because of their sin. So the prophet Zephaniah comes along at that time. After Israel's fall, before Judah's fall, and he's prophesying in Judah, and he would have been a contemporary of Jeremiah, a more well-known, one of the major prophets. So Zephaniah and Jeremiah, they're kind of uh ministering at the same time in the same place to the same group of people and they have this similar message that god's people should repent that they should turn from their evil ways that they should forsake their idolatry and serve the one true living god and it's in this little book of zephaniah that we see some of the most intense images of god's justice He warns the Israelites, he warns the surrounding nations in graphic detail that the day of the Lord is near. That's a phrase that we see in Zephaniah. The day of the Lord is near. That that God is going to judge the nations with fire. He's going to devastate them. So there's the warning. And yet in spite of the certainty of God's judgment coming, hope remains. That's what we're calling this sermon series. That's what, that's what we're sort of lifting out of this fantastic, amazing, extraordinary little book of prophecy that we don't read very often. It is that, that hope remains for those who turn to God in humility and faith. So in Judah, things were falling apart. If you were here for our recent sermon series, we went through Jeremiah and Lamentations. Jeremiah is the one that wrote Lamentations. But you'll you'll remember those lessons that we learned. That the judgment is looming. That God had said, I'm going to flatten you. But that the Lord was giving them another chance to repent. That these were a people steeped in idolatry and sin. That they had gone far from God. And so God says, all right, enough. I'm going to send Babylon to conquer you. And so, yes, indeed, Zephaniah's prophecy is about that. And it's about so much more than that. It's about the coming judgment that God is going to bring upon the people of the ancient Near East back in their day. But it's also about a future and coming judgment when our Lord Jesus returns that great day of the Lord. It's about the second coming of Jesus when all people will be judged. And so if we go into Revelation chapter 20, John tells us what he saw about that particular judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11, then I saw a great white throne And him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is what Zephaniah is prophesying about. The day of the Lord. The day of judgment. So at the end of the age, here's the biblical truth that we see in not only the Old Testament prophecy, but then this vision, this revelation that God gave to John. That... That each and every person will stand before God's throne of judgment. That the book of life is going to be opened to determine, is your name found there? And I I want to tell you, in that moment, (laughs) that's going to be the most important thing, is, is my name there? Like, it might not be important to you right now. In fact, I dare say, the world over, 8 billion people, Not many are thinking about, is their name in the book of life? But on that day, on the great day of the Lord, my friends, it will be the most important question. It will be what is burning on everyone's hearts and minds. Is my name written in the book of life? Because we have the dire and drastic warning there that for those whose names are not found in the book of life, They've rejected the Lord. They didn't heed his warnings that they're going to receive everlasting punishment in the lake of fire. Now, for those who trust in the Lord, who have found salvation in the only place that it can be found, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will be welcomed into eternal paradise. Our name is indeed written in the book of life. Earlier this month, our region hosted a drama called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Some of our folks here, some of you were involved in that. You helped with that particular ministry. Our friend Paul Mullett shared the following on social media. He says, we recently heard that on Sunday evening, a group of Amish from Pennsylvania were in the area, and they decided to attend the drama Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. As they were traveling home early Monday morning, they were in an accident. One man died instantly. Two people were in the ICU. The best part is that some from the group went forward at the drama and accepted Christ as their Savior. The man who died instantly was telling his family how different he felt. That he had never had such peace. And we are praising God that he will spend eternity in heaven. To God be the glory. If you haven't seen that drama, the story that unfolded after the drama is basically what happens within the drama. It's amazing. And to God be the glory. For that gentleman who put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in so doing, his name is indeed written in the book of life. So, what we see in the book of Zephaniah is that each and every one of us, no matter what your age, no matter what your gender, no matter what your ethnicity, the world over, will stand before God's judgment. Each one of us will have to give an account to God. And today is the day that we can hear that warning and respond. We can respond. Just like he gave the people of judah chance after chance after chance after chance. He does so for you and I He calls us yet again to humble ourselves to turn to him So let's go to the book of zephaniah turn with me there to chapter two Some of you already have your bibles open and you're there We're going to see specifically in chapter two In chapter one, we did hear this warning about the day of the lord and judah will be judged in chapter two We're going to see god singling out that God's authority is not just over Judah, but it's over all nations. And so we're going to start at verse 4. We're in Zephaniah chapter 2. Here's the prophecy. Gaza will be abandoned. And Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday, Ashdod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, you Karathite people, the word of the Lord is against you. Canaan, land of the Philistines, he says, I will destroy you and none will be left. So in these verses, we we begin with God bringing judgment against the people in Philistia. This is the land immediately to the west of Israel. God announces here in really dramatic fashion. Now it's not it's not all that clear just in our English translations. When you study it in the original language, which is Hebrew, you, you begin to realize how, how dramatic and how creative this prophecy is. But he says they're going to be decimated, and it's sort of a play on words, I guess, where the, the words that Zephaniah uses um, sound similar. So like how I was saying, Fredericksburg flattened, or Worcester waylaid, or Berlin bulldozed, it would have been something like that. Like, Gaza's going to be Ghana, (laughs) or Ashdod's going to be ashes. So he's using this play on words to dramatically highlight that you are going to be, these people west of Israel, you're going to be flattened, you're going to be taken out. The Philistines are not the only ones that the Lord calls out. He also addresses Moab and Ammon that were located to the east. So jump down to verse 8. These were enemies who oppressed and reviled and taunted God's people. So picking it up at verse 8, we're in Zephaniah chapter 2. I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites who insulted my people. And made threats against their land. Therefore as surely as I live declares the Lord Almighty the God of Israel. Surely Moab will become like Sodom. And the Ammonites like Gomorrah. A place of weeds and salt pits. A wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. This is what they will get in return for their pride. For insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will be awesome to them. When he destroys all the gods of the earth, distant nations will bow down to him, all of them in their own lands. You chose to mock God. You chose to defy him. It's going to come back on you. His name is holy. You don't mess with him. You don't mess with the one true God, Yahweh, the great I am. In fact, even those who who simply mess with his people, we heard that in these verses. You messed with God's people, you're going to be dealt with. Okay, into verse 12 then. God mentions the people of Cush. He says, you Cushites too will be slain by my sword. Now, depending on which English translation you have, it might say Ethiopians. Either way, these are the people to the south. These were people who lived in Africa, in Egypt, and modern-day Sudan, and Ethiopia. And sometimes we wonder... Because of all the atrocities and all the injustices in the world, if God cares. Is God going to do anything about it? Is God going to take action? But here we see in verse 12 that God himself will act. Look there again at verse 12. It is by his sword that these enemies will be slain. This is, I, I think, both an encouragement as we are seeking biblical justice... But it's also frightening because we realize that in God's justice each and every one of us will be called to account for our own sins. And for our own choices and for what we have done. We are going to be dealt with just as well. Okay, so we've seen the Lord going after those in the west and those in the east and those in the south. Now it's time to go north. Now the reason this is significant is because the enemy to the north is Assyria. And Assyria is the superpower of the day. And these other guys, they might be neighbors, they might have some sparring and some and some fighting. You know, there, there's conflict at times, but they would have been more contemporaries and peers. Assyria, the, the, the people to the north, they are the superpower. They are the ones who are dominating right they're the ones who conquered israel let's put it that way they're the ones who they've already conquered israel so watch out judah you're probably afraid of assyria they they were a very proud people they had the world's greatest resources they had the greatest cities god had already spared them by the way by sending the prophet jonah you probably know his story God's already spared the people of Assyria one time. He was going to overturn them. And they repented. They put on sackcloth and ashes when God sent the prophet Jonah. And so they continue on. But let, let's listen to what Zephaniah says God is going to do to them. We're in Zephaniah chapter 2, starting in verse 13. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. Leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind. The desert owl and the screech owl will roost in her columns. Their hooting will echo through the windows. (laughs) Rubble will fill the doorways. The beams of cedars will be exposed. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one, and there is none besides me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, by the way. And as I said, these were sort of the the superpower. These were the leaders in their day in culture, innovation, architecture. This is where everybody wanted to be. And this prophecy would have sounded absurd. This would have sounded as absurd as if I were to say, you know, New York City? Oh, it's just going to be a ghost town. There, there are going to be ferrets running all over and hedgehogs living in the high-rise apartments. It would be absurd. New York City is not going to become a ghost town. People aren't going to vacate that great city. It's not going to just become filled with the hoots of owls. And yet, this is the prophecy that the Lord brings against Nineveh and Assyria. It's going to become a nesting place for Birds. It's going to be overrun with animals. It's never going to be restored. And do you know what happened? Exactly that. It's about 20 years later, according to our historical timelines, that Nineveh was defeated. That it was Babylon who went to the north. And who fought against the Assyrians and who conquered them. The Assyrian Empire, as it was known, came to an end. And the site of this great city of Nineveh still lies in ruins to this very day. Never has been rebuilt. And we see very clearly that the problem... Not only in Nineveh and Assyria, but in some of these other places as well, that the problem was pride. We saw there in verse 15 where the people of Nineveh and the Assyrians they're saying, I am the one, there is none besides me. And we go, They said, I am the one? That kind of rings a bell for us who study the scriptures. That that it's God Almighty who uses the phrase, I am. That's how God reveals himself. In fact, if we look at Isaiah 45, this is where Ryan read for us this morning. The Lord says it there. I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. He says, I will strengthen you, though you've not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none besides me. He says again, I am the Lord. There is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. So with that, we're starting to get the picture of what's happening in Zephaniah, in particular chapter 2. We're starting to get the picture here that God is going to destroy all nations, right? It was to the west, to the east, to the south, to the north. Like a comprehensive, in the known world, God is going to judge each and every one. So it's appropriate at this point, and some of you are still kind of scratching your heads. <laughs> like, I could tell John's excited about this, but like, what does this have to do for me? Like, how is this applicable to my life? Well, as I began with, I think it begins with, this is a warning. It's a warning to each and every one of us that, that we can easily fall into the same sinful attitudes as not only the people of Judah, but these surrounding nations as well. And so instead of finding joy in your own accomplishments, Instead of taking pride in what your hands have been able to do, God begs you, would you find your satisfaction only in him? The great I am. The one true, real God. The Lord can stand no rivals. Not in ancient Israel and not in our modern hearts. And so we have this other New Testament teaching in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements destroyed by fire, the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And then Peter says this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? This says 1 Peter 3, 11 and 12. What kind of people ought you to be, given the fact that everything is going to be destroyed? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. And so we have a great warning in Zephaniah chapter 2, but we also have a great encouragement that despite the coming destruction and judgment, hope remains for those who turn to the Lord. So what do you do? When life falls apart. And perhaps your life is starting to crumble even now. With the unexpected. With the devastating. Or maybe you'll just hear the warning today. You're like Nineveh. Everything's going well. Everything's going great. Your hope and your trust and your pride is in what you can see and what you can feel and what you've built. Well, I want us each to hear the warning and each of us to be prepared. Why? For the day of the Lord that Peter says is going to come like a thief in the night. So here's the very best advice that I can give in what we see from the scriptures. That when life falls apart, turn to the Lord. Turn to God. Cling to him. Plead with him. Pray to him. Worship him. Seek him. You see, if pride is trusting in ourselves, then turning to God shows that our faith is rightly placed in him. And the scriptures are so clear, I don't even have time to to go through them. That God hates pride. God hates pride. He hates that it's pride that that wells up within us and, and, and leads us to declare that we have no need for him. Oh no, many of us don't do that with our mouths but we do it with our actions and we do it with our attitudes and we do it in our hearts that God hates our pride that leads us to prayerlessness. Why don't we pray? Why are we not a people of prayer? It's because we don't trust God. God hates our pride. It's been called the sin of all sins. It's what caused the original sin in the garden of Eden. It's what caused Lucifer to fall from heaven. It's what keeps so many of us. From completely trusting in God, giving him control, giving him authority. Because our pride says, I am God, and he is not. And again, you probably haven't uttered those words with your mouth. But what about your attitude? Why do you depend on your own ingenuity and your own resources? Instead of falling completely before God's throne of mercy. There is an all-powerful God, my friends. One day the world will know it. (laughs) That all-powerful God made you and loves you. And he knows what is best for each and every one of us. And if you turn to him, if you give him control, you'll be glad you did. Because it will mean freedom. It will mean hope. It will mean, as the scriptures say, an abundant life this side of eternity and paradise with him forever. Turn to the Lord. That's That's the best way to respond when life falls apart. How do we prepare for the coming day of the Lord? We turn to him. We call on him. Second way to do it is to prioritize the Lord. Don't you see that God is trying to speak to you? Don't you see That the Lord wants you? So stop running back to those false gods and those false idols that have kept you from him in the first place. We start to find our satisfaction. We start to find our, our, our meaning and our purpose and our identity in other places. And so God, in his loving sovereignty, sometimes strips those things away from us. He begins to call us back to himself. And in response to that, sometimes we run right back to those things that have enslaved us. Don't you hear God calling you and beckoning you? And God uses your circumstances to do so. And he certainly uses the written word of God. He's calling you to himself. You heard this message a couple of weeks ago called First Fruits. He wants our best. He wants all of you. What is it that you've made into a God
1: in your life? I was watching TV the other day and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they they made sacrifices to their idols. But they had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in, it seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day. And this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshippers of idols. And they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore.
0: That one got me. Say anything, anyone that has our affection... Anything or anyone that I'm willing to jump and cheer and shout for and that I won't for my Lord. God wants to be first in your life. In your heart, in your mind. He wants the people around you to take one look and go, oh, that person, that individual, that family, they're sold out for the kingdom. That's what gets them excited. That's where they spend their time and their resources. That's the the flavor of conversation when you're near them. And so we need to be warned today. Not to become like the world. Not to adopt the, the same activities and the same practices and the same mindset, but to be set apart. How do we prepare for the day of the Lord? Peter says, be holy. Allow God to do his work of transformation in us. But see, for many of us, we know what we want, and we want it now. (laughs) We want it right now. And so our final encouragement this morning is to wait on the Lord. Or we keep praying. Or we keep trusting that God is going to bring about his plan in his time. Our hope remains with a firm resolve that God knows what he is doing. So be patient. Trust in God's way. Allow him to unfold his plan and his will. And allow him to shape and mold you through the process. Psalm 130 and verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul, waits. And in his word, I hope. Fredericksburg's going to be flattened. Worcester's going to be waylaid. Berlin's going to be bulldozed. Yeah. They will be. On that great day when the Lord Jesus comes back. When each and every one of us is going to stand before the throne of almighty God and give an account. But I don't want to shout from the pulpit and and pound up here today saying, so you've got to be terrified and you've got to be mortified and you've got to be afraid. Because yes, God is awesome in his judgment. Do you know what else is awesome? God's salvation. The goodness of God poured out for you and for me for the world over. We don't have to fear God's awesome judgment because we know God's awesome salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Did you notice there in Zephaniah, uh, verse 15, he says that after Nineveh is going to be destroyed, people are going to walk by and scoff and shake their fists at the ruins. And you know, that's exactly what people did to Jesus when he was on the cross. They scorned him. They brutalized him. And because Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world, God no longer shakes his fist at us for our sin, but instead, his desire is to restore us. So in Zephaniah chapter 2, we skipped over two verses. I want to go back to them verses 6 and 7. I want to conclude this morning by looking at these two verses. Yes, it takes place within this prophecy of judgment against the nations. But here's what the Lord says. The land by the sea will become pastures, having wells for shepherds and pens for flocks. That land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening, they'll lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. So even while God is saying, you're going to be taken into exile. You're going to be conquered. You're going to be decimated. He's saying, and yet, when the Philistines are wiped out, guess what? There's going to be wells there for you when you come back. And the ones that are the remnant who don't go into exile, I'm going to have a safe harbor for them. Even while his people are... Going into exile. Being punished for their wrongdoing. God promises he's going to restore them. He's going to restore their fortunes. (laughs) So is Judah going to endure invasion? Yes. Will God's judgment fall upon them for their sin? Most certainly. And yet, those who remain steadfast will be victorious. That God is going to make things right for his people of old and for Everyone who puts their trust in him That God will make things right in eternity So that when life falls apart Whether that's now or whether that's on the coming day of the lord hope remains And so I implore you today I plead with you and I urge you as we see the warnings from scripture turn to the lord Call on his name. Put him first in your life. Give him control. And wait. Wait on his timing. Wait on his plan. Trust him. He is faithful. Every one of his promises comes true. Yeah, you might walk through, you will walk through challenges and hardships and suffering and difficulty. But it will end. God's going to put an end to it when it's no longer accomplishing his will, which is strengthening your heart and deepening your faith. And all along the way, he's making you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. So let's pray. God, continue the work that you've begun in us. The seeds that have been sown These gospel truths, Lord, that they would be watered and nurtured. That we might flourish, that we might bloom. That we would have the aroma of Christ. Not stained by the world. Not corrupted by our own flesh and sinful desires. But giving ourselves completely and entirely to you not living out of shame or fear, but God having confidence in you and marveling at the awesomeness of your salvation and humbled that we who are sinful and stained by our own wrongdoing can be redeemed and restored and forgiven and renewed and made clean. So Lord, we are thankful. And in this season where gratitude is emphasized, Lord, we are grateful for this good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you that are here today, if you would like prayer, let's meet up after the service. I would be honored to come with you before God's throne of grace to cry out to him, to receive his blessing, his healing, his mercy, and his salvation. And so, Lord, we thank you for all that you are doing today. We give you the honor and the glory, and we do it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.